This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised uh, last week, or was it the week before, we'll be talking in our second segment today with Mark Hertzgard, environmental reporter, about his new book, Hot, Living to the Next, 50 Years on Earth. Mark uh, Hertzgard's works appeared in some of the, uh, the media outlets we've quoted from quite a bit, including Vanity Fair, The New Yorker, and National Public Radio. And I'm sure you will enjoy our chat with him in our second segment today. Stay tuned for that. Let's begin today's program, however, as we like to do, with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 7th of April. It was on April 7th in 1815 that Mount Tambora erupted in Indonesia. This is believed to be the most explosive eruption in the last 10,000 years. It made a crater five miles across and killed 49,000 people. The ash cloud from this explosion caused a year without summer, remembered in northern countries as 1800 and frozen to death. On April 7th in 1851, the American showman P.T. Barnum died in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Gravely ill, the 81-year-old showman requested that a New York paper run his obituary before he died so that he could enjoy reading it. The paper obliged. Listed in 1945, the Japanese battleship Yamato was sunk in Japan's counteroffensive in the struggle for Okinawa. Ostensibly the greatest battleship in the world, it was struck by 19 American aerial torpedoes. The death toll among its crew was 2,400. On this date in 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower coined one of the most famous Cold War phrases when he suggested that the fall of French Indochina to the communists could create a domino effect in Southeast Asia. And on April 7th in 1966, a hydrogen bomb, which had fallen off of an American B-52 the previous February, was found intact on the Atlantic seabed off the coast of Spain. Oops. Our quote of the day comes from Defense Secretary Robert Gates, who suggested a couple weeks back that it was a mistake to wage a war in Iraq and Afghanistan, adding that any future American leaders who proposes to fight a major land war should have his head examined. Thanks, Bob. Now you tell us. Our quip of the day comes from the late legendary gossip columnist Walter Winchell, who once said, I usually get my stuff from people who promised somebody else they would keep a secret. Our joke of the day comes from something we are delighted to report upon. We mentioned with great sadness a couple years back the passing of an American institution. That would be Esquire Magazine's annual Dubious Achievements of the Year Award. But I was pleasantly astonished to note in looking at the December issue of Vanity Fair that the good people at that publication have decided to take up where Esquire left off, and at least on last December's issue, looked back at the year with a category called Doubtful Accomplishments. They are done in the identical style to the old dubious achievements of the year and usually combine a real news item of a uh, dubious nature with a rather hilarious caption, such as commenting on why the Catholic Church has been unable to address controversial issues such as homosexuality, Catholic conservative Hutton Gibson, the 91-year-old father of Mel, said, It's not willing to do so because half the people there in the Vatican are queer. 
Asked whether he thought Pope Benedict XVI was gay, Gibson said, I certainly do. He's a slippery character. Which Vanity Fair captioned, Proving the tree doesn't fall far from the apple. Yeah, we like these so much, we're going to do a few more. Item, Rich Iot, Republican candidate for Congress from Ohio's 9th District, frequently dressed up in a German Waffen SS uniform and reenacted battles of the 5th SS Panzer Division. Which Vanity Fair captioned, Even worse, his campaign song was, Hey Juden! Item, Justin Bieber announced last August he would be starring in a 3D movie about his life. Which Vanity Fair captioned, Coming soon! Avatard. Item. According to the book Game Changer, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid believed President Obama was electable because he was, quote, light-skinned, unquote, and spoke, quote, no Negro dialect, unquote. Which Vanity Fair captioned, not that it worked for John McCain. Item. A cookbook printed a recipe for spelt tagliatelle with sardines and prosciutto that called for salt and freshly ground black people instead of black pepper. Which Vanity Fair captioned, Try finding that at Whole Foods. And finally, in his autobiography, Life, Keith Richards wrote about Mick Jagger's relationship with Marianne Faithful, saying, She had no fun with his tiny todger. I know he's got an enormous pair of bowls, but doesn't quite fill the gap. Which Vanity Fair captioned, Giving new meaning to the phrase, Under my thumb. Before we go, I just want to say thank you, Vanity Fair. We hope that you will do this again every December. Our stat of the day is $1 billion, as in the figure the pharmaceutical industry is always throwing about telling us what it costs to bring a drug to market. Writing in Slate.com, Timothy Noah said, Ever since that big number first appeared in 2003, Industry lobbyists have bandied it about when they claim drug makers need a fair profit margin so they can develop new drugs. But now a new study suggests the figure is fishy, to say the least. For starters, the industry's estimate ignores the fact that most of the basic research underlying new drugs is done in universities at government expense. And it conveniently overlooks that research and development costs are immediately deducted from drug makers taxable income, lowering their costs 39% right off the bat. Clinical trials needed to test drug safety and efficacy take an average of less than four years to complete, not seven and a half, as the industry claims. Correct all the flaws in the industry's estimates, and you arrive at a development cost that's about $75 million, even when measured in 2011 dollars. Why is the industry's estimate more than $900 million higher? Well, let's be nice and call it a rounding error said Mr. Noah. And in a related Wall Street weasel story, it's noted that this year more than 10 blockbuster drugs whose combined annual sales approach $50 billion will go off patent, exposing major pharmaceutical companies to greater competition from generic drugs. This caused analysts at Morgan Stanley to downgrade its investment ratings on several European pharmaceutical makers, warning that the operating environment for pharma is worsening rapidly. These are the same guys that didn't notice that credit default swaps weren't a good idea. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly.
according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for starting your own Navy after the UK Ministry of Defense announced it would take bids on a decommissioned aircraft carrier. That would be the HMS Ark Royale. It is noted, however, that the Defense Ministry has stated that bidders do have to outline their, quote, intentions regarding the vessel, unquote. And it was surely a bad week last week for astrobiology in the wake of Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez suggesting that Mars once had an advanced civilization that was wiped out by predatory capitalists. Said Chavez, maybe capitalism arrived there, imperialism arrived, and finished off the planet. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for justice, Texas style, after a prosecutor in the Lone Star State offered to let Willie Nelson pay a small fine to settle marijuana possession charges if he agreed to sing Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain in court. Said prosecutor Kip Bramblett, I ain't going to be mean to Willie Nelson. In twilight glow I see Blue eyes cry in the rain When we kissed goodbye and part I knew And from the Only in America file, or is it the American legal file? I don't know. They often seem to be the same. There's this item. A New York City woman is suing her daughter's preschool for hurting the child's chances of making it into an Ivy League college. Said Nicole Impresia, getting a child into the Ivy League starts in nursery school. And noted that a $19,000 a year York Avenue preschool dumped her four-year-old daughter Lucia into a class of three-year-olds where undue emphasis was placed on, quote, shapes and colors, unquote. By the way, we refer you to the previous issue of The Week magazine. That was the March 18th for their interesting article on how to get a kid into an Ivy League college, which explains that there are people who for 40 thousand dollars in consultation fees will uh, tell you how to get your kid one of these Ivy League sheepskins, or at least try for one. By the way, if you're keeping score, Harvard, with an acceptance rate under 10%, is not the most selective college in the U.S. Neither is Yale. The most selective schools are Juilliard and Curtis, the two arts conservatories. By the way, our Hollywood correspondent uh, Donald Rose's mother formerly taught at Juilliard, and we'll be hearing from Don before this uh, segment is out. Commenting about this, uh, this uh, expensive counseling, author Andrew Ferguson said, I was new to this, but already I saw that I'd got it all wrong. At its most intense, the admissions process didn't force kids to be Lisa Simpson. It turned them into Leave it to Beaver's Eddie Haskell. You look lovely in that new dress, Ms. Admissions Counselor. It guaranteed that teenagers would peruse life with a single ulterior motive while pretending they weren't. It coated their every undertaking in a thin lacquer of insincerity, befriending people in hopes of a good rec letter, serving the community to advertise your big heart. Nothing was done for its own sake. Do good, do well, 
but make sure you can prove it on a college application. And here's a heartwarming item from the Strange Stuff section of the Sacramento Bee. Dateline San Luis Obispo. A California woman facing nearly five years in prison for forging drug prescriptions showed up for sentencing with a phony doctor's note seeking a delay in the proceedings. Apparently, Michelle Elaine Astumian pled no contest in January to felony counts of forgery and using a fraudulent check. But she arrived last week for sentencing and presented a note with a doctor's signature asking for a postponement. A prosecutor called the doctor, who said the note was a forgery. When a judge ordered Estumian into custody, she collapsed and was taken to a hospital. And uh, now that Newsweek's been purchased by the Daily Beast, we noted that uh, one of its recent issues had an article from the Daily Beast published, as in on paper. I had to laugh at the caption they put on a photograph of a bunch of uh, Republican legislators filing in for the president's State of the Union address. And I got to say, these guys looked like, uh, in the words of Sheryl Crow, as if they'd never had a day of fun in their lives. And the magazine captured the photograph. Boehner's Gray Brigade arrives at the State of the Union address, prepared not to clap. Speaking of Republican dopes, here's an item we neglected to talk about until now. Apparently a few weeks back, former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee, currently employed as a talking head on Rupert Murdoch's Fox News, told a uh, conservative radio host some weeks back that President Obama had, quote, a very different perspective as a result of growing up in Kenya with a Kenyan father and grandfather. Huckabee told radio host Steve Malzenberg, we should note that he is a possible Republican presidential contender, said he knew that Obama's personal history was troubling, and the president, quote, probably grew up hearing that the British were a bunch of imperialists who persecuted his grandfather, unquote. In case you're keeping score, President Obama spent several childhood years in Indonesia, but was raised mostly in Hawaii by his mother and grandmother. He barely knew his father, who left the family shortly after his birth, and did not, in fact, visit Kenya until he was an adult. A spokesman from Mike Huckabee later said the former governor had meant to say Indonesia instead of Kenya. Well, in that case, is an even bigger dope than we thought, because Indonesia was never a British colony. And in fact, unlike the original 13 colonies of these United States, neither was Hawaii. And although for some reason we don't get around to quoting the business section maybe as, as often as we might, here's one we couldn't, couldn't resist from the Sacramento Bee's business section, at least the part run by The Motley Fool, in their letters to the editor, which comes under the My Dumbest Investment headline, there was this. PK, writing online, said, My dumbest investment was in Moeller International. They make flying cars. I figured everyone would want one, right? Said The Motley Fool in response, the company's description of itself on its website is indeed enticing, saying, quote, Moeller International has developed the first and only feasible, personally affordable, personal vertical takeoff and landing vehicle the world has ever seen, unquote. Adding that kind of thing and getting folks excited enough to invest their hard-earned money. But stop and ask yourself a few questions. Is the company actually selling these vehicles? Is it earning a profit? 
Does it have little or manageable debt? Do its trends look good? They had always looked beyond a company's story for reasons to have long-term confidence. With stock for this company recently trading for pennies a share, it seems a very risky bet. All right, we mentioned our Hollywood correspondent, Donald Rose, a few weeks back. Actually, I think he's our Westwood correspondent, uh, Hollywood reporter Gail Murphy. is going to be our, uh, our person on the Hollywood beat. At any rate, in the wake of the <laughs> Aflac duck being fired, that is to say Gilbert Gottfried, the former spokes duck, who got fired for apparently tweeting some tasteless jokes about uh, the Japanese tsunami, led to the insurer receiving 1,500 applications to succeed Gilbert Gottfried, including that of our good pal Don. And yes, the company apparently wanted to hear the word Aflac spoken as a duck in various motifs, as follows. Donnie Rose, Aflac Duck Audition, normal voice. Aflac. Frustrated. Aflac. Happy. Aflac. Surprised. Aflac. Angry. Aflac. Sad. Aflac. Tense. Aflac. Losing temper. Aflac. Pleading. Aflac. Sexy. Aflac. Snobbish. Aflac. Don, good luck with that. If only we could have a contributor to this program be also the voice of the Aflac duck. Well, we just couldn't be prouder. Let's take a break and talk about some serious stuff. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for Mark Hertzgard and his discussion about global warming. <laughs> 